The labor of the olive shall fall or fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Now, you look there, and you might consider to yourself and think, well, um, okay, the fig tree's not going to blossom. There's not going to be fruit. There's not going to be these things. So what does that really have to do with me? How does that weigh in? Well, let's take it out of Israel's view, and let's put it in 2020. I lost my job. I have no money. I have a family member who's gotten sick. The stock market crashed today. The world's falling apart. People are rioting and looting all over the streets. That's really the gist of what Habakkuk is saying is happening in Israel. Yet, he says in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I want to take a little bit of time tonight and talk about worshiping when you don't feel like it or when you don't want to. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes we have tonight. We love you. We need you. I pray you'd help us tonight in a special way. I believe this message could be a big help to a lot of your people tonight if we would just get it and pay attention to this book tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sometimes it's hard when you're at church and we're just singing away and you're like, I just don't feel like singing tonight. Let's be honest. Has there ever been a time where you just haven't felt like singing? Anybody? Well, I see some hands. Okay, good. I'm glad you're honest tonight. Do you know Israel felt the same way? They were in Babylon, and Babylon wanted to hear a song, Psalms 137. The Bible tells us, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing unto us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing? Look at what Israel said. How shall we sing the Lord's, the, sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Babylon, they wanted to hear a song. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Israel's like, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They're having a tough time singing. Say, well, bless God, they should have just been belting it out to the Lord, being a testimony. As their temple was destroyed, their families were torn apart, their walls of their city, Jerusalem, is destroyed, and they're carried captive. Yes, they should have been singing, but there are times where you just don't feel like singing. When we look at this and as we study this tonight, we're in the book of Habakkuk. It's a book that not many people know a lot about. If, and some people even pronounce it a little different than how I did, and that's okay. If they were preaching, they could do it any way they want. 
Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, and he ministered in a time right before Babylon was going to destroy Jerusalem. The name Habakkuk means wrestling. And in all honesty, in chapters 1 and 2 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is wrestling with some tough questions and wanting God to answer him why. And we see how it kind of ties all together. Habakkuk, in fact, it's, all the book is, it's dialogue between him and God. That's all it is. He's arguing with God, and he's even he's asking, why are you letting the ungodly flourish? Why are you letting the ungodly come in the wicked do this? He's asking a lot of questions. There's an article that I read a while back in a leadership magazine. The title was Praise That's Premature. This guy, this guy by the name of Shane Hips, I don't know him, but this is what he said. He said, Authenticity and integrity in worship means expressing both lament and praise. Each element completes the other. Without lament, praise is little more than shallow, um, sentimental, and, and, I, and a denial of life's struggles and sin. Without praise, lament is the denial of hope and grace, both of which are central to the life of faith. Pretty powerful. Think about the book of Lamentations. You see the same thing. Jeremiah is lamenting over Jerusalem. And yet in the middle of the book, chapter number 3, we see him worship in the midst of lamenting. Say it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. There's a strong tie between both. We're going to go through several things tonight, and I hope this will be a help to you, those watching online, those who are here tonight. I want to talk about several things. Number one, or as we dive in, and I want to talk about when pain keeps you from singing. There's going to be pain in life, and it's going to be hard to sing. And sometimes you look at that and, you know, if you say, well, that's never been me, then praise God that you've never gotten to a point like that. But there's going to be times that come. Well, how do we, how do we, what are we supposed to do when pain keeps us from singing? First thing, number one that we got to do is we got to, as we see with Habakkuk here, he declared his questions. He, he asked God questions. So we see this, declare your questions. It's not wrong to ask questions to God or even bring a complaint before God. It's not wrong. The book of Job, Job asked questions. In Psalms, over and over again, the psalmist would ask God questions. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 10, verse number 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? That's a qu God, why aren't you right here? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? We see a question asked. Psalm 13, verse number 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Psalm 44, verse 23 and 24. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression. You see that there? 
Declare your questions. It's okay to question God. Why? Why is this happening? There's nothing wrong with questioning. We see it here. Go to Habakkuk chapter number 1. Habakkuk chapter number 1. And look at verse number 3. Or look at verse 1 through 3. It says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Habakkuk was burdened for the people. They're going to be destroyed. Look at verse number 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that, ra- that raise up strife and contention. And basically saying, God, why aren't you you're showing me this? But why don't you care? Where's your care? You're indifferent to me with this. What am I supposed to do with this? You bring me this problem. You bring me what's going to happen. I have this strong burden on my heart. Why did you show me this? What's the point? What are you going to do about it? It's like you're going to do nothing and just let it happen. And when tragedy leaves you teetering, it's not unscriptural to question and bring a question to God. Guess what? He's big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle your cries. And some of you have been rocked by some pretty tough stuff, and it's okay to bring your question to God. What do you do when you're faced with an avalanche of agony and feel like God's playing hide-and-seek with you? Some people bottle it up. But may I remind you of something? Bottling it up doesn't solve anything. And a lot of times, it's the worst thing you can do. I always use the example, and I used it often in my office when I'm counseling and talking to people. A hot water heater has a release valve on it. When the pressure builds up, there's times where you got to open up the valve. And sometimes we just bottle it all up inside and think we, can t- we need to handle it ourselves. But I want you to understand something. It's much better to ask God where he's been than to wear your spiritual smile and pretend like everything's okay when it's not. We see, declare your questions. It's okay. Do you know something? You might not always get an answer. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But if you don't ask, why should he tell you? What to do when pain keeps you from praising? Talk to God. Take him your questions. Number two, describe your complaints. Describe your complaints. You say, Pastor, I'm supposed to complain before God? Well, I think there's a scriptural pattern that takes place. Describe your complaints. Habakkuk, he questions and brings, declares his questions to God. And then Habakkuk next gets real and describes his complaints to God. His main beef is with God that doesn't seem fair that God would use wicked people like the Babylonians to punish his people. He can't comprehend it. 
And a lot of times we use, look at chapter 1 there and look at verse number 13. We use this verse often to talk about how God can't look upon evil, right? Well, this is the thing. Look at what Habakkuk says. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He's complaining before God. He's saying, you can't even look on evil, so why are you going to let these wicked Babylonians that deal treacherously, you're going to let them devour your people? That doesn't make sense to me. That's what he's saying right here. And we use this verse often just to say that God can't look on evil. But this was actually Habakkuk complaining to God right here. God, why? We see as we talk about when pain keeps you from praising, talk to God, take him your questions, declare your questions, describe your complaints. Number three, deepen your commitment to God. So what do you mean? I love how in the book here of Habakkuk, the faith progression continues on. The hurting follower begins with a how long question, followed by why, and then he gives his complaint in specific detail. And after, now look at this. When Habakkuk is honest with God, look at what happens. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. There's a lot more if you took the time to go through these three chapters, but chapter 2, verse number 1, look at what it says there. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk's ready and waiting for God to answer him. Habakkuk, and what we look at here, we see here is, if you've got, and look at this, think of this progression. If you've got questions and complaints, don't stop there. Express them, and then turn to the Lord and wait for him to answer. That's what Habakkuk does right here. And something that's very interesting God answers Habakkuk, but he doesn't answer how long this is going to be or why. But instead, God gives Habakkuk two anchors to hold on to. So we just read verse number one. Look at verse number two. And the Lord said unto me, and the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So what, what are you trying to say? Well, the first thing is, you see there in verse number two, God tells him, write down the vision. Write down the revelation. So what do you mean? Well, in the midst of those hard times when you feel like you can't sing and you've given God everything, first thing you need, what's the first anchor you have? The Word of God. The written book. That's what he says. Write down, what did he say? Write down the vision. Right there in verse number two. Write it down. 
Verse number three tells him, basically, it's going to happen. And you're going to have to wait a little bit, but it's going to happen. Then look at verse number four. This is quoted in the New Testament. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. See, the anchor that we have when it's hard for us to sing, the first anchor we have, we have this book. And then the second anchor that we have, do you see that there where it talks about faith? And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing from the word of God. The anchors that we have to help hold us down when life throws things at us, that's what the Lord says, hey, Habakkuk, hold on to me. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. When our faith is anchored to the word of God, we will be able to handle what comes our way. Ruth Bell Graham once said this, and this is, this is pretty good. I lay my wise before your cross in worship kneeling, my mind too numb for thought, my heart beyond all feeling, and worshiping realize that I, in knowing you, don't need a why. It's pretty powerful. We see when we can't, when pain keeps you from praising, you need to go to God. You know, it's so often human relationships that we have. You have a problem or an issue with somebody. Sometimes one of the hardest things in the world to do is to, to go talk to them. You are a little upset with something that God's allowed in your life. The best thing you can do is go to God. Ask Him some questions. Bring your complaint before God. And then wait for God to answer. And when He does, you can move from pain to praise. That's what we're going to talk about for a little bit more time tonight. You know it's possible to praise even when you're in pain? You can love God when life is not going the way you think it should. In fact, the most authentic times of adoration are often when we feel the most awful. Why are most of the great hymns and songs that are written, written in some of the darkest times of people's lives. A song like It Is Well With My Soul. A song like What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I think we could go through a list of different songs. But when we think about that, there's a process that took place. And what you've got to understand is, as we look at this, um, a man wrote this, he said, Habakkuk's book begins with an interrogation of God, but ends as an intercession to God. Worry is transformed into worship, fear turns to faith, terror becomes trust, hang-ups are resolved with hope, and anguish melts into adoration. So, well, how does that happen? There are five steps to help you move from pain 
to praise. Go to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 will probably look more in it tonight than what we do the other chapters, but I, I would highly suggest you go back, and in a few weeks on Sunday nights we'll be in the book of Habakkuk, and we'll talk more about it as well as we talk about the book, but you're almost getting the whole book tonight, so there's not going to be much to cover then. Look at what it says, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shiganoth. Now, some believe Shiganoth. Anybody know what Shiganoth is? Jay, you got any ideas about Shiganoth? Why not? I think you would. People really don't know. Someone's guess is it has something to do with music. That's the best commentary guess I've found. Because the end of the chapter talks about to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. So what you have is a book, three chapters long, of a man bringing his questions and his complaints before God. And we see him taking his burden and not being able to praise God to by the end of the book he's singing a song to God. Now how does this take place? How do you move from complaint about problems to composing a prayer, a, a praise prayer. How do you do it? Well, number one, you've got to revere God. So what do you mean by that? Chapter 3, verse number 2. Look at how Habakkuk reveres God. Look at what it says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise, and his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was hiding of his power say, well, what's going on there? As Habakkuk is filled with grief and burdened, he focuses on the characteristics of God. So what do you mean? God is, look at verse number two there. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. The word afraid, we think of afraid and we're like, you know, we're thinking, he was in awe, is the meaning of the word afraid right here. He saw the awesomeness of God. I heard your speech and I was in awe of you. He remembered mercy. God is great in mercy, right? You see that right there? He also you look at the fact that God came. God was there in the midst of what was going on. His omnipresence. He refers to the Lord as the Holy One. You see how he's looking at the characteristics of who God is? You look at the next verse there and it says His glory covered the heavens. He's talking about his, how glorious God is. He says how the earth was full of His praise He's talking about how the Lord, he's praiseworthy. 
talks how the Lord, he's filled with splendor. The verse number four there says, and his brightness was as the light. And then you look at the end there, he had horns coming out of his hand, and there was, and there was the hiding of his power, and God is powerful. So do you see that God often doesn't answer our wins and our why questions? Because the answer is not what or why or when or why, but the answer truly is who? God himself. We need to call to mind in the midst of the hard times we go through the personality of God. He is a personal God who knows all of our troubles. He sees our tears. And we need to see Him as powerful. We need to see Him as merciful. We need to see Him as glorious. We need to see Him as the Holy One of Israel. That's how we need to see God. Something you've got to remember. Life is not all about us. God's plans and God's purposes differ from ours. His thoughts are not our thoughts, nor His ways our ways. Christian, do you revere God tonight? The first step is always to expand your view of God so you can see His greatness and His grace. Figure out who He is and you'll understand who you are. Number two, not only revere God, but review. Say review, what are you talking about? And I probably didn't put the right verses there, but review should be verse 5 through verse 15 of chapter number 3. And what happens? Look at verse 5. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And everlasting mounds were scattered, and perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. Verse 8, was the Lord displeased against the rivers? And it goes through all these things from verse 5 through verse number 15. And he reviews from the beginning of time all the redemptive work of the Lord. It's what he does right here. It's a good idea that when you're having a hard time praising, to go back and review everything God has done in your life. You want to go from pain to praise? First of all, you need to get your eyes on the who. Revere Him. Secondly, as we mentioned, you need to review. Do you know the Bible tells us? Psalm 103 Verse number two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do you know the Bible says the word remember or forget not over 200 times? It's important to remember what God has done in the past, he'll do in the present. And we need to remember. And this is what happens. Sometimes we have a short memory. How am I going to get through this? 
Oh, you need to revere and you need to remember who God is. But you also need to review and remember all He's done in your life. What an awesome God we have. He's a good God. Strive to revere God and then review what He has done. And then number three, rest. Look at verse 16 and 17. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble when he cometh up unto the people. He will invade them with his troop. Say, what do you mean by rest? Habakkuk waited patiently. That's what it's talking about right here. His heart pounded, his lips quivered. All these things happen. But this way he said, I'm going to rest on you. I don't know when Babylon's going to come and destroy the city. I don't know when they're going to come take us captive. It makes me sick to think about. It makes my stomach tremble to think about. It makes my lips quiver. It makes me uneasy. But I'm going to rest and wait on you. And uh, you look at other verses in the same chapter and you think about this thing. You just say he's going to wait on the Lord. Look at verse number three. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Look at that word, Selah. Look down at verse number nine. Thy bow was made quick, quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even unto thy word, Selah. Look at verse number 12. Thou didst march through the land in, indig in, indig in indignation. There we go. Thou didst thresh, and that's not the verse I wanted, was it? It was verse number 11. I went too far. Was it verse number 11? Was it verse 13? Yeah, Selah's at the end there. I should just look for which one had Selah at the end. Now, the word Selah carries the idea. Anybody know what the word Selah means? Kind of like you stop and think on it for a minute. You pause. You ponder. Take a little bit of time on it. We're called... And Habakkuk was called three times in chapter number three right here to pause, to meditate for a minute, to think. The word selah is used 74 times in the Bible, and most of the time it's used in the book of Psalms. This phrase is most likely kind of like, and I'm not a musical person, it's kind of like a musical rest in which the singer stops singing and only the instruments were heard. There's one Bible dictionary that said this phrase can also signify a musical crescendo. 
crescendo, is that a thing? That is then followed by silent reflection. The idea of meditation. It's where we're called to pause and meditate. And Habakkuk was told three times to pause and to meditate on the Lord right here. What I see in this is, in my observation, is that most, almost everyone is waiting for God to do something in their life. Right? Don't you think that's true? I think we're all waiting for something. If you want to move from worry to worship, then guess what? You might have to wait. Isn't that what the Lord told him in chapter number 2, verse number 3? He told him there, look, go back there real quick. Chapter 2, verse number 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. You're going to have to wait. He rested and waited on the Lord. That's what verse 16 says. He says, I would tremble to myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. I'm going to just rest on it. I'm going to wait. That's not easy for us. Man, I got something going on in life. I want God to answer it now. I don't want to wait. Or I want to know what's going to happen now. I don't want to wait on it. And I think a lot of us are that way. If we're going to go from pain to praise, we must revere God. We need to review all He's done. We need to rest on Him. And then, you look at verse number 17 again. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall, no, there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now, you look at that, Habakkuk, he doesn't know what's coming, in all honesty. He knows he's had a, he's, the Lord has told him that something's going to happen. So he does not know exactly what Babylon's going to do and how they're going to destroy things. But he said there in verse 16 he's going to wait, right? But look what he says. Look at verse number 17 as we were just there. Think about the fig tree. Habakkuk imagines the horror of failed crops and all their livestock taken out. That's what he's talking about there in verse number 17. Those trees, the fig tree, the olive tree, were very important to Israel. Their livestock were very important. And what a, no fruit of the vine, no grapes. He's imagining what, what if this is what happens? God had given him a burden and had revealed to him that something was going to happen. What exactly he knew and how deep, it doesn't give us the full detail. He knew that Babylon was going to take them captive. He knew that. But when you hear bad news, when you know that you're waiting for something and it doesn't look good, how do you respond? 
Well, we've seen in this chapter, we've seen him revere God. We've seen him remember what God's done for him. We've seen him rest on God and just wait, which leads to number four, rejoice. Key word to the entire book of Habakkuk is verse number 18. Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Disappointment does not have to lead to despair. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even though there might not be any food, even though there will be no flocks, Habakkuk's determined to rejoice in the Lord. Yet, very similar to what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 19, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Keep on going. What was his hope? It is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. See those verses right there? He had he kind of wondered why the city was destroyed, Jeremiah did. He kind of gave God, listed some grievances to God. But his hope, he still had hope. Habakkuk still had hope. Job experienced a similar thing. Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job didn't know what was coming next. His family, his kids are all gone. His wealth, everything, his health. What does he say? Even if he slays me, I'll still trust him. Powerful. It said in chapter 19 of Job, verse 25 and 26, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. No, verse 25 and 26, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. pretty powerful to take how awful things were in his life and to turn them from pain to praise. Jeremiah took the pain of seeing the city destroyed and how he felt to praise it's that the Lord's mercies were not consumed. His compassions they fell not great as thy faithfulness. We think about Habakkuk here. And he gives his complaints to God. He questions God on these things. And you look at that, it says, verse number 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That literally means, if you were to literally translate that, I will jump for joy in the Lord. He had delight. The tense of this means, I will shout for joy and I'll shout on. I will abound for joy and abound on. It's literally what he's saying here. 
preacher of yesteryear that I enjoy reading his sermons is Charles Finney. And Charles Finney, I came across a sermon a while back, and his words are pretty jarring. Listen to this. Many seem to have no enjoyment in religion any longer than the providence of God seems to favor their particular plans and favorite schemes. God does just, you know, for say God does just what I want him to do. All my notions are exactly realized. God is good, and I'm happy. But let him thwart them, run across their track, turn upside down their cherished plans, and what then? They tolerate God, perhaps? Perhaps not even that. They by no means rejoice now in their God. They have no true religion. When God was so good and kind to them, they thought they loved Him, and it was themselves they loved, and Him only because He gave in to them. They were pleased to have God for an almighty servant. Surely they were. But to have Him on the throne... That was another matter. Instead of rejoicing in God's will, whether or not it was theirs, God must succumb to them or they are displeased and grieved. Chuck Swindoll said this, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react. No matter what happens, Habakkuk chose to rejoice. No matter what happened, Job chose to rejoice. No matter what happened, Jeremiah chose to rejoice. Number five, and lastly tonight, rely. We're running out of time. I actually have like two or three other little things, but I'll, I'll move quickly. Rely. If you're going to move from pain to praise, it begins with rev revering God, with reviewing what He's done in your life, resting in Him, rejoicing, and then relying. Look at verse number 19. The Lord God is my strength, and He'll make my feet like hinds feet, and He'll make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. Habakkuk holds onto the fact that God is sovereign and he's in control of everything that happens. When trouble comes, and Christian, they will in your life, submit yourselves to the sovereignty of God. Isn't that what Noah did? Noah, I want you to build a boat. Okay, why? It's going to rain. What's rain? Build a boat. It's going to rain. Noah, why are you building a boat? God told me to. Why? There's no water. Oh, it's going to rain. What's rain? It's water that falls from the sky. It's going to rain. Really? You have to rely on the sovereignty of God. One of the things we've got to remember is this God is God. And we're not. In chapter 1 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was low. 
In chapter number 2, he climbs up to the watchtower to wait for God's answer. And in chapter number 3, by the end, he's walking upon his high places. And you see how God moved him from pain to praise. A couple closing thoughts for you in your life. Three implications I want to give you from this. The first one is this. Don't unplug or you will unravel. What happens a lot of times is people get mad at God and they just pull the plug and walk away. You step away from God, you will unravel. You need to be like Habakkuk and go to God and talk to him about the situation. Don't unplug. You know what happens to a lot of people when they're having a hard time? What's the first thing they do? They quit coming to church. Don't unplug. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another. It's important. It's easy to get out of the habit of church. Man, you look over the past few months at the craziness that's gone on. You know what we've needed more than at any other time? Church. Church, we've needed it. And if you say live stream is the same, it is not. And I'm so sick of live stream. I could care less if I ever see live stream of anything ever again. I'd be totally fine. That youth conference last week, they did good preaching and everything, but it was lame watching it on a screen. I'm so tired of seeing everything on a screen. I'd be fine if we just got rid of screens completely. I would be fine with me. But don't unplug or you'll unravel. So many of us miss that. Number two, praise must become personal. What Habakkuk saying in verse number 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You cannot make it through life without a relationship with the Lord. And I don't know how people deal with the heartaches of life without the Lord. I really don't. But there are a lot of Christians, they know the Lord, but how personal is your relationship with Him? You can be in the same room and be saved, but He does say, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. That comes from the Bible. And then number three, turn what's wrong into a song. Did you know there, I didn't tell you at the beginning, but the name Habakkuk actually has two meanings to it. Wrestling, and then embrace. Two different meanings. He moves from fighting with God to faith in God. From wrestling to worship. From questioning to praising. In fact, he says at the end of the chapter, to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. He wants the music director to use the song. 
his prayer. Man, there's so many, and not that I endorse or talk about movies a lot or different things, but some, you know, you look at a few powerful songs that have been written not too long ago. I can only imagine. I watched the movie behind it. You see the man, I forget all the, his name, but his dad and the abusiveness and the, how he had to forgive him, how his dad's dying of cancer and his dad gets saved. As his dad gets saved, he wrote that song for his dad. Or I still believe. Man's wife dies of cancer. And he takes some words that she said and writes a song. Turn what's wrong in life and turn it into a song. You can go from pain to praise. And that's what we see tonight in the book of Habakkuk. When you don't feel like singing, go to God. Talk to Him. Bring Him your questions. Bring Him your complaints. And then be like Habakkuk. Wait for God to answer. And God said, hey, you've got two things to hold on to. You've got my book and you've got faith. And I think that the two of those are about all we need in this life. And we see, the more time you spend in the book, you're going to see the characteristics of God. You're going to revere Him. You can go back over all the things that God's done in your life. And you can review those things. You can wait on Him. You can choose to rejoice and to rely on Him. And that's how you go from pain to singing again. Father,